Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Welcome to a brand new month of bringing clarity to the chaos. Today, we examine the latest headlines from the end times, and we'll continue our series on why we should explore Bible prophecy with Steve Butler. Friends, would you help Watchmen on the Wall grow by inviting others to tune in? They can listen on the radio or through our SWRC mobile app. They can also access this program when they subscribe to our Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Thank you. Thank you for helping Watchmen on the Wall grow. Now, let's open our Bibles and join today's teacher, Steve Butler, as we continue our series, Why Explore Bible Prophecy. We are in point number five in Why Explore Bible Prophecy, and we've looked at uh, passages in Matthew 26, where Jesus is being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's telling the people that if you had studied the Old Testament, you would have known that these events were going to take place exactly as they're taking place. And through that, we were making the point that the scriptural prophecies are extremely detailed from even if they're a thousand years old, uh, they are extremely detailed in how they play out in time, in space, uh, the people involved, the events that happen and the following events that take place because of They are very meticulous, and there is no book anywhere in the world at any point in time in history, any that comes anywhere close to the accuracy of Bible prophecy. There is no failed prophecy in the Bible. And if there has been no failed prophecy here to date, why in the world wouldn't we have complete confidence in the future prophecies being fulfilled in exactly the same way? So that was Matthew 26, and we went to Psalm 22 to make the point that a thousand years before the events of the crucifixion took place, the Bible gave great detail as to exactly what would happen and in what sequence. Then we went to Luke 24, and this was that um, interesting encounter between two of the disciples, not apostles, but disciples of Jesus, and they were leaving Jerusalem after the death, burial, and what was the resurrection, but they did not see Jesus. All they knew was that the tomb was empty and that somebody had probably stolen his body, and they were just really depressed. They were dejected, and they were walking home to Emmaus, and Jesus uses this as a teaching experience for all of us where he shows up. They don't know who he is, but he's walking along with them, and he basically chastises them for not understanding the Old Testament for not understanding exactly what had to take place, and he was living proof that it was a fulfillment of uh, the Old Testament scriptures. And that um, uh, was an amazing experience, and he actually revealed himself to them when he was sitting at the table in the home, and he broke the bread, and he blessed it, and they recognized who he was, and then he disappeared from before their eyes. And remember, when he was in his glorified body after his resurrection, he walked the earth for 40 days, and he chose who he revealed himself to. The unbelievers did not see Jesus in his glorified body, just as the unbeliever will not see Jesus, uh, nor will they see us when we're raptured out uh, at that blink of an eye at some point in time uh, in the future. 
the world will not see us just as the world did not see Jesus uh, during those 40 days in his glorified body. And then we went to uh, Acts chapter 17, and this was where we made the point about Paul going to the synagogues first. Paul was not anti-Jew, even he was a Jew. He was a Jew of Jews, actually. And rather than what people have been uh, led to believe, that Paul only preached to the Gentiles and Peter, for instance, only preached to the Jews, well, both are wrong because, as we pointed out in our last program, Peter actually brought the first Gentile to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ with Cornelius. So Peter did that, not Paul, and that Paul made it a practice, as we saw in Acts chapter 17, everywhere he went to the many cities in the many countries of his three missionary journeys, he always went to the synagogues first. And we learned in our passages in Acts 17 that whenever he'd go, he would almost, well, he would get kicked out because the Jews were believing in an Old Testament misunderstanding of Scripture that it was more important to be a follower of Moses, a follower of Abraham, a blood relative of Abraham and Moses. That's what we needed. Well, we actually simply needed to be Jewish to be um, worthy of going into the kingdom that had been promised. And Paul was telling them that, no, that's not the case, that you needed to know Jesus Christ. Well, they didn't like that. So they uh, would basically run Paul off from city to city. And he finally comes to a city called Berea, Berea in Greece. And the, the distinctive difference between the people, the Jews in the synagogue in Berea and those that were in the other um, synagogues in the other cities was that they were, to quote, uh, this is Acts 17, verse 11, now these, the Bereans, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So as they heard information about things biblical, they would go into the scripture, and of course the scripture they had, remember, was the Old Testament. They would go into the Old Testament to see, to confirm whether or not what they were being told was true. And when Paul came and explained to the Bereans Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected, Jesus Christ was their promised Messiah, they went into the scriptures and said, hey, that's true. So the distinctive thing about the church at Berea was that it was the only, actually the, the synagogue, which would be the church af afterwards, that that synagogue of Jews were the only ones that would actually go into the scripture, not listening to their rabbis, not listening to their spiritual leaders, but going in and letting the Holy Spirit teach them through a study of the Old Testament. It proved to them that what Paul was teaching them, this radical new teaching about this Messiah Jesus, was indeed true in detail from the Old Testament scriptures. And that's what made the uh, Bereans distinctive from all the other Jews. And it brings about the, the saying that, you know, our desire is that we would be Bereans, that we would know the scriptures well enough, old and new, to be able to discern truth from fiction when someone is talking to us. And I think you'll agree with me that in the church today, one of the great shortcomings in church is a lack of discernment, a lack of critical thought 
uh, as it relates to the scriptures, that we cannot discern one doctrine from another uh, and therefore cannot fully worship the Lord because we don't fully understand who the Lord is and all that he wants us to know. So he's admonishing us over and over in these scriptures and many others that we're not uh, covering here to study the scriptures and to study the Old Testament as well as the New Testament to get a full understanding of what God would have us know about him, his will, and his Messiah. So uh, let's go ahead and go into our next scripture, Acts um, chapter 18. So we were in Acts chapter 17, so that's simple to find the next one. And we want to go to verse uh, 24 to start with. And it says in verse 24, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, so Alexandria, Egypt, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is on the west coast of uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, which would be across the Aegean Sea to the, to the east of uh, Greece. So he came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. So it says he was mighty in the Old Testament. Verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So what he had been teaching was everything that he knew about Jesus from John the Baptist. Now remember, John the Baptist is not Jesus, and God wanted to make that very clear when John baptized him in the Jordan Remember, God made his voice audible, and he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He was separating Jesus from John the Baptist, Jesus being the one that they needed to follow, not John the Baptist. But up to this point, Apollos was only acquainted with the scriptures and how they related through the teachings of John the Baptist, verse 26. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. In other words, the details of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, as prophesied in the Old Testament. Going on in uh, Acts chapter 18 through verse 27 and 8, it says, when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brothers the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, and this is over in Greece now, so he's gone from Ephesus in Turkey across the Aegean to uh, Corinth in Greece, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So we're having another man now. We were talking about Paul before. Uh, now we're talking about Apollos, another uh, disciple, uh, a, a preacher of the word, who has now been fully trained and, and, and fully understanding the Old Testament scriptures. And he's using those now to refute the Jews who were pushing back and they were saying, no, Moses is the one we need to focus on. Abraham is we, the one we need to show our genetic lineage through. That's what's going to get us accepted into the kingdom. 
that this Messiah person is going to bring about at some point in the future. And he is refuting those Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures, by the Old Testament, that Jesus was the Christ that that they should have been, they were looking for and had crucified on the cross in Jerusalem. But through his death, burial, and his glorious resurrection, they would have eternal life if they would simply believe in who Jesus was as he walked the earth and who Jesus is as the risen Savior, sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting to come back for those who believe in him. That's an important passage to, to show again the importance of, of understanding the value of the Old Testament. Again, there are people out there, there are even uh, denominations, unfortunately, but there are pastors out there that are either playing down the importance of the Old Testament or are outright saying you don't need to study them at all. They have nothing to do with you. They have nothing to do with the church. Remember, everything about the Bible applies to you as a believer. From Genesis to Revelation, everything applies to you and can be used for the value and the improvement and and the perfecting of your walk as a Christian. But not all the Bible is about you. That's the key distinction you need to make. Even though the Old Testament isn't about you because it's talking about the Jews, the principles that we learn in the Old Testament uh, about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit and their relationship with Israel has great application for us. So that's why we need to study the Old Testament to fully understand and appreciate the New Testament. Make sure you stay tuned for the next installment in our teaching series, Why Explore Bible Prophecy. Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation is an excellent book to continue your study of Bible prophecy. Order your copy of Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online swrc.com. Another outstanding resource is the book What's Next by Dr. Kenneth Hill. What's Next looks at the different views people hold to concerning the end of the age. Order both Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation and What's Next when you call 1-800-652-1144. Our mission at Watchmen on the Wall is through Christ to bring clarity to the chaos. One of the ways we do that is with our next segment that looks at the latest headlines through the lens of Scripture. Here's Dr. Larry Spargimino and Marvin McIlvaney for today's look at the headlines from the end times. We read in 2 Timothy 3.1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, you know, Marvin, I think we're definitely living in perilous times. I mean, what's interesting is that even the secular world thinks we're living in dangerous times too. To prove it, just look at what happened the other day. Here's the headline. Doomsday clock moves closest ever to midnight. Now, the story goes on to say, top scientists and security experts move the doomsday clock forward on Tuesday to just 90 seconds to midnight, signaling an increased risk to humanity's survival from the nuclear shadow over the Ukraine conflict and the growing climate crisis. 
The new timing of the clock set by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist is closer to midnight, Marvin, than ever before. I saw that story, Pastor Larry. It also said the hands of the clock, which the Bulletin describes as a metaphor for how close humanity is to self-annihilation, has been at 100 seconds to midnight since January 2020. That used to be the closest to midnight it had been in its history. A decision to reset the hands of the symbolic timepiece is taken each year by the Bulletin Science and Security Board and its board of sponsors, which includes 10 Nobel laureates. In a statement, the Bulletin said it was advancing the hands of the clock by 10 seconds this year, due largely, but not exclusively, to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the increased risk of nuclear escalation. It's amusing to me that those so-called scientists included, quote, the growing climate crisis as another reason for moving the second hand closer to midnight. Now, did I miss something? I mean, is the climate crisis getting worse? Are the seas rising? Are the polar ice caps melting? You know, I remember through the 70s, 1970s, and 80s, how everyone talked about global cooling. In fact, in Life magazine in 1970, they reported that, quote, by 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching Earth by one half. And Al Gore is no prophet. How can we forget all the things that Al Gore prophesied would happen in his 2006 film, An Inconvenient Truth? I'll tell you one thing we can all agree on, Pastor Larry, is that nobody can predict the weather. It's the only job where you can be wrong all the time and still keep your job. In regards to the doomsday clock, I think the main reason they moved the second hand is because Putin has continually said he would nuke any countries that tried to help Ukraine. In a related story, Russia today warned that Germany's decision to send dozens of modern tanks to Ukraine is extremely dangerous and will take the conflict to a new level. Well, yeah, that's really a dangerous thing. I mean, Russia branded the move a, quote, blatant provocation and warned that the new NATO supplies will burn like all the rest, according to Mr. Putin. His raging propagandists call for the German parliament to be destroyed in a nuclear strike. Can you imagine what would happen if the Russians nuked Berlin? Germany and the U.S. have until now held back on providing heavy armor because that could give the Kremlin reason to widen the conflict. Meanwhile, Putin's favorite propagandist, Vladimir Solyov, also ranted about the move, which he plainly sees as a significant blow to President Putin, while also being proof, at least in Russian eyes, that Germany has directly joined the war. Quote, it's time to send a clear, resolute message that we now consider Germany a direct party to the conflict. German tanks appearing will definitely mean we consider German territory, military bases, and other sites as legitimate targets. NATO wants to fight this in a cunning way, pretending that it's not fighting, close quotes. I don't know, Pastor Larry, they may have to move the doomsday clock up again really soon. Yeah, it might be one second to midnight, but you know, Marvin, one thing we talk about sometimes, and it seems we have to tiptoe around it, is the subject of race. I don't really know why that is. I mean, we talk about sex and transgenderism, homosexuality, the grooming of children, human trafficking, death, war, and the end of the world, 
all these things, but for some reason, race seems to be more of a sensitive subject than others. Do you think so, Marvin? Yes, I do. I think it's because if you say anything about it, you run the risk of being accused of being a racist. No matter how you try to avoid sounding like a racist, it almost always comes off as being racist. Well, if anybody knows me, they know that I pastor a Chinese church here in Oklahoma City. I have for many years. I'm married to a beautiful Chinese lady. I have been for 61 years, and for my 80th birthday, I got a Tony Evans study Bible. You know, Tony Evans is the senior pastor to the 9,500-member Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, and he just happens to be black. I love this guy. He's tremendous. He talks about real life. He's good on everything. He talks about prophecy. I love Tony Evans. He's wonderful. In fact, his whole family, they sing, they preach. They're wonderful. So I feel that no one can say that I'm a racist. Now, this headline really bothered me, though. It says, Rep. Sheila Jackson Lee introduces bill criminalizing conspiracy to commit white supremacy and criticizing of non-white people. Marvin, I mean, I've never heard of any, anyone committing white supremacy. Is that some kind of a sin or something? I mean, much less two or three people, you know, getting together and saying, let's conspire to commit white supremacy. What is the result of that kind of a conspiracy? Is this madness or what? When I think of white supremacy, I think of the KKK running around in white robes with hoods and burning crosses, and maybe they're still around, I don't know. I don't know that they have much effect on anything anymore. I mean, reading about slavery in the 1800s and then Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, and I'm sure people back then who owned slaves were upset. I think that's where it started. The Klan had a resurgence in the 1920s. They have video of meetings from that time, and Then again, in the 1950s and 60s, they made another appearance. But in the 1960s, we also had the Civil Rights Movement, which sort of silenced that kind of bad behavior. I think America has tried to level the playing field, not just with black people, but all races. I mean, why do people of every race try to come here to America? It's because this is the land of opportunity. You come to America, you work hard, you can move up in America. But introducing bills like this where it's criminal to commit, quote, white supremacy or criminal to criticize non-white people, that's absurd. I can criticize all the people coming across the border, not because they're non-white, but because they're breaking the law. I can criticize the MS-13, not because they're mostly Mexican, but because they're gangsters and do bad things. So to introduce a bill that criminalizes how you think about things is in itself very dangerous. In fact, The objections were immediate. That's right, Pastor Larry. Here are some of the comments people have made regarding this proposed bill. Quote, Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee just introduced a bill that would make it a federal crime for white people, and white people only, to criticize mass immigration or to say anything that she claims will vilify a non-white person or group. Close quotes. Another person wrote, Sheila Jackson Lee should be introduced to the Bill of Rights, particularly the First Amendment pertaining to free speech, close quotes. Sheila Jackson Lee is a black Democrat out of Texas, but I have to say, Larry, this bill to me is racist. Amen to that. I would agree with you. And then, uh, you know, there's another person who wrote against this bill, Attorney Harmeet Dillon. We made mention of her before when she came out against giving kids puberty blockers, and she has been targeted for her Sikh faith. 
But she said this about Sheila Jackson Lee's bill. Who wants to tell her about the First Amendment? And that's how I feel. Be careful what you say about other people, no matter what race they are. We live in a free society where we are free to have opinions. According to the Bible, the only race is the human race. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And Marvin, I don't see how anybody could deny that in the face of all that's going on. The last minute or two or three, some of the things that we've said, only sinners could do that. Now, here's the good news. Jesus loves sinners. And Jesus died for sinners. If you're not a sinner, you've got no hope. But if you're a sinner, you repent and turn to Jesus and say, Lord, help. I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner heading to hell. Please help. Guess what? Jesus will come into your heart. Amen. You know, it's been called the nation's most famous shopping center, and it's located in Minnesota. It opened in 1992 and is the largest mall in the United States, the largest in the Western Hemisphere, and the 11th largest shopping mall in the world. It's the Mall of America. Now, a man wearing a Jesus Saves t-shirt was ordered to remove the clothing or leave the Mall of America in a video that has gone viral on social media. Maybe our listeners have seen it. We've looked at it. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. That's right, Pastor Larry. A security guard at the nation's most famous shopping center can be heard telling the man, quote, if you want to shop here, you need to take off that shirt, close quotes. Another clip shows the same guard saying, quote, Jesus is associated with religion, and it is offending people. People have been offended, close quotes. The shopper is in a yellow t-shirt with the phrase, Jesus saves on the front. On the back, it has that famous bumper sticker that says, coexist, which advocates different religions living alongside each other peacefully, and that's crossed out. And underneath the crossed out coexist, it says, Jesus is the only way. There was a tense exchange, and during that exchange, three security guards surround the man. Uh, He can be heard saying, I didn't say anything, though. I didn't speak. I didn't say anything. I just went to Macy's. Guard replies, again, I'm giving you a couple of options. You can take the shirt off, and you can go to Macy's, and you can do your shopping, or you can leave the mall, okay? These are your only options right now. And the officer later claims the man was engaging in religious soliciting, which is a no-no in the mall. We can't do that in the Mall of America. However, the man insists throughout the video that he was not attempting to preach, but was simply wearing the shirt while shopping. It certainly wouldn't have happened if he had a pride shirt on, or maybe a BLM shirt. That would be okay. A group called the uh, Bloomington Patriots planned to hold a demonstration at the mall on February the 4th. Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation is a book that you need to help you continue your study of Bible prophecy. Also, you can order another outstanding book entitled What's Next by Dr. Kenneth Hill. What's Next looks at the different views people hold to concerning the end of the age. Order both books, Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation and What's Next, when you call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. You can also order these outstanding resources at our website, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we begin a brand new series with author Carl Gallup's discussing the presence of Jesus' name everywhere. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit our website, swrc.com.